Well, we are going on in our series in 1 Corinthians, um, Sinners Made Saints. God has called all of us who are lost. That means everyone. And we are lost in our sin, and we are far from God, and God has united us. And today, I am quite certain you will see the screen. Look, you can even see on the logo that there are actual buildings, old ruins. <laughs> you couldn't see that before. <laughs> I'm just, when I put it up there, Jesse and I first turned it on, it was shining way down here, so we're like, oh, well, that's not that good. But then when we lifted it up, it was, oh, it's like, wow, that's so incredible. So those of you that gave to this project, I am grateful for the blessing the Lord has put on your life to do so, and know that he will bless you for giving. 1 Corinthians 5 is an interesting chapter. We've been two weeks, a couple weeks removed from 1 Corinthians, so... Let's kind of back up and rehearse some of where we're at. <clears throat> Corinth is a, is a port city that sits on an isthmus, which is just a, a few miles that separates um, two seas. And the, it's a port city, so people would come in, and with ships, they would come in, and they would either have their stuff lifted and put on carts and taken to the other across this very narrow part that separates northern Greece from southern Greece, all the way to the other side, um, just a few miles, um, and put it on another ship and go. Or if the ship was small enough, they would pick it up, actually, put it on uh, carts and rollers, and they would roll it, carry it, all the way to the other side. Um, so if you were in shipping, this was the place to go. Corinth had a lot of business. It had a lot of things happening right there. And, and so far in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's really probably 2 Corinthians because Paul mentions his former letter in this one, but we don't have that one. And, and so Paul is bringing a lot of correction lovingly to the church that he established there. Um, he had come through Athens and he's, um, he, he is there now and he has established a church. Probably 40 to 60 people are in this congregation. And they have uh, started out by loving Jesus, and he stayed with them a year and a half and, and really nurtured their faith and got them growing up in the faith. But they had done and started becoming like the culture. The church, if we're not careful, becomes like the culture. And he's dealing with a lot of cultural issues that have crept in to Christians' lives that they are living the way they should not be living. If we fall in love with Jesus, and we come to him as Savior, that means that we want to, to please him and give him our life and live for Jesus. Um, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're dealing with this, this church, and unfortunately, it's become very perverted. The church has become sexually alternative lifestyle. It's, it's in a diff, it's a, it taken on the lifestyle of the culture, and it may sound like a familiar place that you may have heard of before. Um, <clears throat> everyone has a lot of tolerance and freedom. Does that sound very familiar to you? Sexually. And so there's a lot of pride in their sexual activity in Corinth. And it crept into the church. And Corinth had a history of being very sexually active. It was a very perverted town. The purest kind of love was if a man, um, uh, a man had a boy that he could groom sexually for himself. It was sick and perverted. The ancient city existed with a temple that had a thousand prostitutes as priestesses as part of their occultic worship. So <clears throat> that city was destroyed, but the city that was later rebuilt 
had the same proclivities. And the, the attitude of sexual perversion and promiscuity and tolerance and pride, the celebration of alternative lifestyle, alternative parades, put a, a rainbow bumper sticker on your camel type of people, that's just what they were. And so all of that in this real big city of Corinth, and it was such a big deal that the rich would throw these massive banquets, and their friends would come, and each friend would be assigned a personal prostitute that would be with them for the evening. They had homosexuality. They had sex before marriage. Uh, they had sex outside of marriage. They had prostitution. They had swingers, open marriages. Uh, but just about anything you can think of was present in our day, happened repeatedly and openly in Corinth, even in the streets, just like we have today in the gay pride parades in Seattle or Portland where they openly, the gay, and I don't know if you've ever seen the video, probably not, but the gay and homosexual people have sex right on the streets in front of children and they can't do anything about it. I've seen the video, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> it was a port city and there's lots of people coming and going, lots of activity, lots of sexual activity, lots of promiscuity. So I want to thank the Pete and Josh for letting me land on chapter 5 so I get to expound on this. <clears throat> it was so bad that sexually transmitted diseases became very widespread. And because they didn't have hospitals or medications or medical technology that we have, they would build shrines. And they had these shrines all throughout the city. And they had little statues built in the form of genitalia. And people would go to these statues in hopes of being healed from their venereal diseases. And it was their version of the ancient Greek clinic, okay? Um, that's what it was. So we're dealing with a culture that we may look at now and say, well, that's disgusting, well, it probably is not quite as bad even as the one we live in today <clears throat> in some ways. Nonetheless, here's Paul, and he's getting reports of what's going on inside the church. That's what the city looks like, but now inside the church, the same thing's going on in different ways. And so he begins to openly deal with it in chapter 5, the sexual sin in the church. So 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1 says this, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. <clears throat> ought you not to run, <clears throat> rather, excuse me, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Wow, strong words. This was a, a man having... Inter, intimate relationship, sexual relationship with his mother-in-law, or his, uh, his stepmom, excuse me. And so Paul affirms three big ideas concerning sex um, throughout his writings along with scripture. Number one, God intended for sex uh, for marriage partners only. Sex for marriage partners only. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews affirms this in Hebrews 13.4. He says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. You might be sitting here saying, Pastor, I've been married 40 years. I've been, you know, this is not an issue for me. Well, I think that when Paul dealing with this and bringing it to the forefront for us today, it gives us the, not only the mentality of the culture in which we have, but it addresses a very spiritual undertone that is familiar today that is the same that was the, then. And one that we as believers... I believe, have the power through the authority that's given in Christ to uh, address the spiritual realm. You have that power, friend. You know, the power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. 
And what he wills, he empowers to us. And he gives us that power. And so we pray that in Jesus' name, he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. It's all about him doing it. But nonetheless, we are called to address this in prayer. And so when we look at the scripture of the writer in Hebrews here, and along with Paul, we, we find that sex is a gift to marriage. And that it is a gift because, among other things, it's fun. It's enjoyable. I am right here to say sex is enjoyable. It is fun. Uh, we know this. Marriage is important. It's God's first establishment. The Bible gives six purposes for marriage. Companionship, uh, unity, children, of course, completeness, an illustration um, of, of us and the bride of Christ. And equally as important, physical intimacy and sexual relationships. So God intended for sex to be in marriage, and which is defined by one man and one woman. No man, woman, woman, or woman, man, man, or man, man, or woman, woman, uh, or man, stepmom, as is the case here. Marriage is for a man and a woman, a monogamous relationship, and them only. And in that and in that uh, protection, within those boundaries, there's great freedom. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to, with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Um, the April 30th is our wedding anniversary, 35 years this year. We're very excited, and we're going on a trip, and um, then we're going on another week's trip because, as you know, Pam's brother passed away, and we're going to deal with some things there um, for the second week. So we're going to be gone a little while, but I'll never forget the, 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 the marriage proposal. I'll never forget the marriage ceremony. I'll never forget the, uh, the excitement leading up to that wedding day and wedding night. And that honeymoon, I was looking forward to that. And that open expression within that boundary of marriage, within that protection of marriage, was awesome. Pam and I didn't have to try each other out first. We didn't have to live together to see if we were compatible sexually. Let me tell you something. If you don't know your partner is going to, if, if, if someone asks you, how will they know if they're any good in bed? Well, if you've never uh, been with anybody else, what's the difference? It's going to be incredible, right? God intended for sex to be in marriage. Husbands and wives have sex and have it often. Just do it, okay? Um, you have a prescription from your pastor. It is a healthy thing because marriage protects it and gives it the grace and stamp of God's approval. Sex is for marriage. When it's outside of that, all kinds of issues arise, and we'll get to those. Secondly, all sex outside of marriage is sin. Petting, oral sex, lusting after people, masturbation with visual aids, internet, coarse joking, uh, sex videos. We should not watch people having sex, going to shows to watch people have sex, online to watch people engaging in sexual activity. Statistics show and prove that couples enjoy better sex and more often than those who are unmarried. Did you know this? Um, every, every secular psychology, uh, even second, secular psychology says this in an article from March uh, uh, of 21, 
and psychology today, uh, there's, there was a study done in the, in the sum, summation of it. There was a, a paragraph, and this is what it says. But a great deal of research shows the opposite. These studies generally agree that compared with people who are single, cohabitating, or separated slash divorced, these who are married generally report greater happiness, more emotional contentment, and more spiritual fulfillment, and improved sexual satisfaction and sex more often. That's powerful. You know, the message paraphrase of this section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians, look at how Paul writes this. This should trouble you guys. This needs to bother you and not be celebrated. And you're so above it all, doesn't even phase you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? Wow, that's pretty powerful. Confronting sexual sin in the church is an exciting thing. Um, It's not something that I think is fun or anyone wants to do. But sex is so talked about and is the God of our culture and exalted, so it's worshipped, it's, it's everywhere, that we better be very open in when we talk about sex in the church. And we should talk about it the way God talks about sex. We need to confront sexual sin in the church. And I want to talk about that because Paul does it right here, 1 Corinthians 5.3, he says in the next scripture, <clears throat> For though I'm absent in body, I'm present in spirit. <coughs> and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such. In other words, don't you remember, I'm your spiritual father. I'm there. So knock it off. He just, you know, puts his dad hat on. Verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is a powerful scripture, and the principle is one that Jesus talks about. Jesus gives us the, the story of the one who um, was uh, thrown into prison, right? And he's tormented. Put, give him to the jailers so that he'll be tormented to save him. We have all kinds of tormentors in the world today that torment people that even Christians that God will allow because God says that he will in order to bring us to repentance. But it's his kindness. Every father or mother knows that when we love our children, we discipline them for the things that are right in life. They may rebel, but when they get out, it's so funny, you know, the young men that rebel and they're the most rebellious at home, they wind up joining the Marines right? Then they get yelled at all day. You know, it's like, I'm not going to take being yelled at by mom and dad. I'm, I'm sick and tired of having to make, I want to go out with these friends. I, they won't let me go out with these friends. I, I, I want to act the way that I want. I just want to do what I want. I just, I, and finally they go to the Marines, right? It's like, what? It's just a big target on their head. It's like, and it happens to young people all the time, right? Maybe you were one of them. I was certainly one of them where we walk in rebellion a certain way. We get out of the house and we wind up getting disciplined by the world for the same things that our parents tried to Get us in line with. Except the lessons were much harder. And we lost a lot more. And it hurt a lot more than if we'd have just humbled ourselves under their guidance and leadership. So Paul says this. This is a principle that 
uh, you turn this person who's been sexually perverse over to Satan so that he'll be saved. In other words, let him go. Let him go on with the world. Let him suffer the disappointments of a sexual relationship after sexual relationship, unsatisfied because nothing ever satisfies enough. Paul singles this person out and he says, parade them out front. Tell them they're in sin. They've got to be corrected by the church body because the world sure isn't going to do it. Could you imagine us doing that today? What if I were to say, call somebody out that I knew that was living in sexual sin in the church, and I would say, come up here right now. I want you to face the congregation. <laughs> Wowzer, man. They might even threaten a lawsuit or something. I don't know. It wouldn't work, but it's like, wow. But could you imagine that? But I do want to say for us today and those watching online that there are those of us, of you, that are living in sexual sin. You're viewing pornography. You're cohabitating. How would you survive confrontation if the pastor were to call you up and say, stop that? And Paul even goes further. He says, and whoa, he just is like, deliver this person over to Satan so that his sin might punish him enough to repent. What does that mean? Well, he says, not to associate with them. How hurtful. How tough. Don't even eat with him. You know, don't play cards with him. Why? So that his sin nature would be destroyed because he's out of fellowship. In our culture today, people just go somewhere else, right? They just leave and they do whatever they want to. And remind, mind you, in, the, in their culture, in the time, family connection and the distance to travel, uh, churches today are commuter churches. Some of us drive great distances even to come to church here today. Some more than 30 minutes or 40 minutes just to get to church today. And back then, I mean, it, they, they lived closer in their community. So these people are people they associated with. They, they, they knew one another. And then he, Jesus does the deals with this in a different way. He says, confront him personally. Privately, if they don't repent, then take some other brothers with you or other sisters and confront them. And if they still don't repent, then expose them to the whole church. <laughs> Paul says, get rid of them. Get them out of your church. Our first reaction would be, who in the world has the right to do that? Get in my face like that. Nobody has the right to get up in my business and do that to me. Well, Paul says here that the leaders of the church are. And let me tell you, that's tough. But the purpose is not to embarrass, as Paul says, but to love. This is why we often, people often misinterpret or mistranslate discipline. Because it's not to hurt the person, it's because we love them. Right? I mean, if you have kids, you know, especially when they're teenagers, right, they know, they know more than you. <laughs> or they think they do. Come on now, that's funny right there because it's so true. You know, they know more than you do, right? And as tough as a parent because you love them, you guide them, maybe you tried to tell them and they go their own way anyway and then it hurts more. As a parent, you travail for their soul and you hurt for them, but sexual sin destroys the conscience and causes people to become callous to the things of God. Sexual sin, more than other kinds of sin, does this deeper. In fact, years ago, a psychologist wrote in Christianity Today and they published this thing excuse me, and um, it was referred to by Christian History Magazine from an article in Christianity Today. And the psychologist says, not a Christian, he said that sex and relationship, relational intimacy 
is, is so powerful, it can't be separated from the spirit of a person. They're, they're together. So when one is damaged, the other is damaged as well. Sexual sin destroys that conscience. So what would confronting sexual sin in the church look like today? Well, the Corinthian church was doing what the culture was doing. And if there's any indication of the world today, friends, what's in our world today and so predominant and prevalent, there's a lot of issues. Pornography has got to be at the top of the list. Adultery through pornography is in the church. So does the church look like the American culture? Statistics say yes. Americans, and forgive me as I did research on this and from former notes that I had, I had to get some refreshed information because my information was old and some of this stuff doubled just in the last 10 years. Americans spend more money each year on pornography than they do music. It's now over $12 billion. It's bigger than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League combined. There are 11,000 adult movies made, adult, sick movies, perverted movies made every year. 11,000. That's more than 20 times what Hollywood puts out. The Huffington Post, which I never read, but had a big article on this, says the internet is for pornography. No less than 30% of all data on the internet is pornography. 30%. 70% of American men and 30% of American women admit to watching porn. 70% of American men. The average person, now this is one statistic from one news group, so keep that in mind. I always look at these and I, yeah, well, I wonder how they ask the question. You know, you wonder that too, right? The average person visits a porn site twice a week. The average person. Porn sites get more visitors than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. The average age of a first internet porn of a person 11 years old. 90% of boys and 60% of girls are exposed to pornography before they're 18. Youth with a significant exposure to sexual Sexuality and the media are considerably more likely to lose their virginity between the ages of 14 and 16. The mean average for the first sexual intercourse in today's day is 16.4 years old. The cultural tide has changed so quickly, and it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. In 1974, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders Published by the American Psychiatric Association, the authority for criteria for all training for psychologists and identity, identification of mental disorders could, said that homosexuality was a mental disorder, 1974. Today, people commonly see homosexuality as, a, as an alternative and equally acceptable lifestyle that's huge. It's a huge change in such a short amount of time, friends. Maybe you're participating in homosexual activity. Maybe some are. We are not against you. The church is not against you. We are for you. We love you. We recognize that, that you, in fact, are, are, we are the church and we love you. But it, if you struggle with this desire, you're not in sin. To be tempted is not sin. 
However, we know that this is sin. And sexual sin creates a callousness to the gospel. Have you noticed that people living in homosexual lifestyles so openly today in our culture that we're Christians or uh, even go to Christian quote-unquote churches have taken the scriptures and just twisted them to no end? How someone can read something so plain and then make it say what they want to say is just beyond belief. And if we're a believer, as a Christian, we love the Scripture. We enjoy the Scripture. We want to live this. We want to please Jesus with our life. It is very important for us. And so when we look at the Scripture and see someone so change its meaning, it's, it's just, it boggles the mind. Just, I, I don't know how people manufacture a God. You know, there's a lot of people that have manufactured Jesus. Sidelon, this is free. They have manufactured a Jesus that was created... Right? They take the scripture that says the first, he was the firstborn of creation, and they create a whole religion out of it, which means basically as, as Jesus came into the flesh, he got the inheritance of all that was created. That's what it means. But they say, no, he was a created being. And so they create a whole, a whole uh, you know, doctrine out of this. They're called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Another group have taken Jesus, they've, they've created a Jesus that is the brother of Satan. They're believing in a different Jesus, friends. That's, that, that's called Mormonism. That's not the Jesus of the scripture. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel means what it means, that Jesus was the eternal, forever, forever, yesterday eternal, and forever more for in the future eternal. He is one part of the Godhead Trinity, and he is the eternal being that was forever in the past and will be forever more. That's the Jesus that we serve. Any other Jesus is not the Jesus. That Jesus can stand up. So anyway, that was free. But it's sexual sin. It goes along, a little bit goes a long way. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. <clears throat> now he's getting into the rebuke of the thing for them. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the whole leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the group of the church, not an individual. Keep that scope of mind. He's speaking to the church. In verse number 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So why would he say this to us today? Why is this significant? Number one, let it bother you. Let it bother you. And as a Christian, as someone following Jesus or wanting to know more about Jesus, I, I hope you're bothered. If he's saying that there is a man having sexual relationship with his stepmom, he says, you've become so calloused because you are living in Corinth and your culture is so wicked. And friends, we live there today. America and all around us has this predominant God of sex. They're constantly worshiping it. It's in the music. It's in our movies. It's, it's in, it's, there's homosexual kisses openly in, in, in entertainment, Hallmark Channel. I mean, for crying out loud, it is everywhere. But let it bother you. He says, you're living in Corinth. You've become callous to what's going on. It's become insensitive to God's standards and God's ways and God's freedom. This is about freedom. This is not about holding you back. This is about the freedom of the Lord that God has for you in His way. We used to be disgusted when we were kids. My 
dad wouldn't let me watch 007. <laughs> Forget it was on TV. I went, because he slept with women. I mean, back in the day, the guy with the gold tooth and he was a big man, remember? They had to go to Mars or something. I don't know, it was some silly thing. The moon, I don't know what it was. I wanted to watch it. All my friends were watching I didn't know. And we would see one thing sometimes. That, hey, remember <clears throat> the Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore? The Dick Van Dyke show, they had separate beds and they were married. Because in the show, they didn't want to show them sleeping in the same bed. But let me tell you what it's like today. MyNorthwest.com, Washington State just now appears to allow minors to undergo life-changing gender reassignment surgery without parental consent. Under this new law, health insurers must cover gender-affirming care, including surgical treatments that were previously denied coverage. The Democrats rejected the proposal to apply the new law to patients over 18 if it's one in the series of new laws that, taken together, allow children as young as 13 old, years old to make serious health care decisions, the consequences are immense. A kid cannot go into a place to get a tattoo if they're under 18, but they can go start taking pills and having their body cut up without the consent of the parents. Now, the parents have to be con informed. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, I was ill, I remember, and I was sitting and I was binging Hawaii Five-0. You know, I, got, I love the song, the drum. It came to a place where the star of the show, Steve, <clears throat> Steve, right? His name? He was, there was a girl that was seeking refuge with the police because her music teacher was trying to help her become lesbian and live the lifestyle, and her parents were wanting to caution, and because she was under 18, she went to the police. And the character, Steve, said, hold on, wait a minute, parents. We sto I stopped watching it. I'm like, I'll, I'll tolerate a lot of stuff sometimes. That was enough for me. And let me tell you, friends, this is happening today. Sex, the god of our culture, has so infiltrated the minds and has infiltrated the consciences, even of believers, because we're so, uh, we see it so much, we're familiar with it, it doesn't bother with. Shakespeare used to say, right? That's Shakespeare's statement. Familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, we get used to seeing something and being around something so long, it no longer bothers us. And I know you've heard these things, friends. If you listen to the news at all, it's there. God saw something in Jeremiah's generation that we see predominant today, this callousness. Look at the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6.15. He says, Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? Not, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush so they will fall among the fallen they will be brought down then I will punish them says the Lord so there's a lot of context here but if you would allow me I would like to withdraw the principle from here of the conscious being so defiled that we lose our ability to blush so set aside Jeremiah's context, not unimportant, but the principle bears true that we are in a place where we have lost our con our consciences are so seared, we've lost the ability to blush. The Daily Mail reports that American porn searchers on transgender sex grew by 
2022 alone. And most popular, it's in Brazil. I don't know what's going on in Brazil. America's top porn searches. America's different from Europe. America's top porn searchers, searches, according to the Daily Mail, is stepsister. Stepmom is number two. And something called hentai, which unfortunately I had to look up. It's an anime. It's people. Well, you get the idea. So Paul's dealing with incest. It's not new. What we're seeing today that's predominant in porn searches is not new. Lifeway survey says that 30% of Christian men admit to watching pornography weekly and 18% of women. It's a growing epidemic among women, uh, Christian women. Today, morality is more like art than banking. If you put $100 in your bank and you go down and you take one day, you know, a couple weeks later, you take out 80 bucks. When you go there, you expect to tell her, not to tell you, oh, by the way, your balance is zero. You'd be like, wait, it's not, it's not right. There's a fact there of your balance. It would be $920, right? Yeah, you should still have some money in there. But art is subjective. Today, bad is no longer bad. Just like the scripture says, one day, the signs of the times will they will call evil good and good evil and and now these values of Christendom, and I'm not trying to just be a cheerleader for us in the church to say, stand your ground and, and, and you know, be angry at the world. I'm not saying be angry at the world, but I am saying to stand your ground. And I will not, not stand the ground from this pulpit or priority of the priority to me of preaching the word of God. Because I don't care what the culture says in comparison to the Bible. I am sold on the good news. I have been purchased by God with a price, and I want to glorify God with my body. I understand that there is an absoluteness to the truth of what has been written. I believe that there is scientific evidence for this. I believe that there is um, 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 uh, hearsay evidence concerning this. I believe that there are witnesses about this. I know that there are extra-biblical accounts that write about this. I, not only that, much deeper, I have experienced the life-transforming power of Jesus who has touched my heart, who has saved me from my sin and made me completely radical. I don't care what anybody else thinks. You see, the church, we're not intended to be subculture. We're not intended to be like some punk rock band or the new rap that's coming out or none of this stuff that's going on. We're not a subculture. We are a counterculture. We show something that's different. We are not the like the world. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, we must glorify God with our bodies. And I recognize that today the ability to blush is gone. In our world, there's no conviction concerning sex. It's being taught thoroughly to your children. It's, it's been pulled from Disney movies because it's been overtly promoted in their imagery. Um, there's all kinds of things that continue to pound and pound and pound away. And now kids' channels on cable television have, have characters and leaders, and they're, they're trying to nurture kids uh, to explore their sexuality when there is a right and a wrongness. And the parents have that ability to toe the line. The authority, friends, i got to tell you, is being taken away. 
They're trying to take it away, and pretty soon you'll be thrown in jail. Years ago, I did a sermon illustration. Oh, I was, I'll never do it again. I did a certain illustration talking about something along these lines. And I said, and if I say a certain thing, they're going to, and I had a guy come in dressed like a police, took me out, and there's, well, that's, you don't get arrested. You know, it was terrible. I, you know, I won't do it again. But that's coming soon to a church near you, especially in Washington State, Washington, Oregon, and California. If it weren't for some Christians standing up, we would not have the ability to show books or any thing or read from the scripture in public anyway anything that deals with sexual sin because they would consider it uh uh what do they call that um hate speech the hate speech laws are coming big secondly understand that nothing starts big so first of all we lost our ability to blush let it bother you secondly nothing starts big it starts by little right no one grows up thinking, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a pervert. You know, no one really does that. But as a Christian, it begins with the small tolerances. We allow things in our hearts through the eyes and ears. A little yeast works through the whole loaf. God judges unbelievers. We judge ourselves. 1 Corinthians 5.9, let's finish this text. I wrote to you in my letters not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world, nor the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Yeah, right. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, of Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or viler, drunkard or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Nothing. Is it not those inside the church whom God, who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. People often quote Matthew, misquote Matthew chapter 7, and they've said it to me out of context and said, don't judge lest you be judged. So don't judge me. You can't say, I'm a Christian, but don't judge me for my things. That's not what the scripture's saying. That's not. They, they, they used to defend their, they use it to defend their sin or force you to accept their sin and some sort of tolerance for themselves. And so the context shows us, Jesus says that before you judge, examine your own heart. You know, make sure not that you first look at the log in your own eye and you understand your standing with this issue, even though you may have failed, still doesn't give you, unqualify you from confronting someone. You can still go to someone and say, hey, you shouldn't be living this way. You shouldn't be sleeping with this person. You shouldn't be cohabitating with them. This is sinful. This is not going to produce the righteous life that God desires. This is not God-honoring. It's going to destroy you emotionally. It's going to destroy you psychologically. It's going to give you a lot of pain in the end. Paul clears this up right here when he says, judge Christians in your fellowship. In the church. Well, what does that mean? It's not for you to, after church, oh, yeah, I see. I know what you did. <laughs> you know, everybody in the foyer, just, I'm ready for you, man. No, that's not what it means. I think it means a couple things. Number one, people who have no relationship with Jesus aren't the focus of the problem. If non-Christians are living in sexual sin, we know that. That's what Paul says. You'd have to go to Mars, he says. That's Larry's translation. We'd have to leave the planet. We'd have to leave this world, he says, to get away from non-believers. They're going to do what they're going to do. 
they're going to be adulterers. They're going to be homosexuals. They're going to they're going to be perverts in any sort of the way that's perverting the sexual intention of God's way of sex. But Paul says um, in verse thirteen, God deals with those people. He judges the outsider. Don't worry about them. Let it bother you, but don't worry about them. What's so funny about this is the acceptance they want from us and the culture from their sexual sin. I, I find that unfathomable. Why do they need me to give my stamp of approval on them? They want me to accept it. And because I don't accept it, we hate them, right? And it's a us and them, which is, interestingly enough is what the demons say about one another in the Bible, us and them. You know, that's the, because God judges unbelievers. It's just amazing to me that Christians striving to live for God's best in sexual relationships were slammed the hardest when we fall as well. And once more, the amount of demand society gives to accept them for their alternative lifestyle is just awful. And this is the great misunderstanding of the ages, that we do accept them, we do love them, we understand them. They have no desire for Jesus, at least not the Jesus of the Bible, just the one they've created with their little box. They, com they, co they compromise him, they twist the scripture, they twist his words to create their own Jesus, to ordain their own pastors to, that are filled with such hatred toward those wanting to serve the creator of life and sex. But if someone we know as a Christian and having fellowship with us, worshiping with us, is living in sin, we are to do two things that don't seem to go together. Correct with love. Correct with love. We are to be like iron sharpens iron for one another, friends. None of us are perfect. Loving them through their challenges and accepting them and correcting them in love. I hate the sickness that sex is bringing in the culture and the mindset, that it, but it is here, and we must look to address it in love. How do we correct in love? Secondly, we look at, look at how the message again says these verses. The, the message is a paraphrased version, but the plain language is just palpable. He says, but I am saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when one of your Christian companions is promiscuous or crooked, is flip with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it as if it's acceptable behavior. Then he writes in verse 12, I'm not responsible for what outsiders do, but we don't have the same responsibility for those in our community of believers. God decides on the outsiders, but we decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line, if necessary, we need to clean house. What does that mean? I think we begin by praying for them. If you reach out to consider your own weakness first. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Brothers, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering your own self, unless you also be tempted, unless you also be fallen the same way. Restore them. If we see a brother or sister that's struggling with this, first of all, there's got to be an ability for us to share these things in our culture today, friends. We need to be able to say to a brother, I'm struggling sexually, or a sister, I'm struggling sexually. Talk to a sister. Don't talk to a brother, sisters. Brother, don't talk to sisters about this. Men with men, women with women, talk about this. We ought to be able to say, let me pray with you. Let me call you. Let's get together. Let's have a fellowship. Let's do something more that goes beyond what the world would do. Paul's entire life purpose was this. 
all this judging is not to be mean. It's because of love. Love. The love of God that we sang about today in his glory. Friends, Jesus died because of our adulteries. Jesus died because of our sin-sick addictions. Jesus died because of gender confusion. The love of God is greater than how we feel. The love of God is greater than the pressure of your temptations. The love of God is greater than your failures. And not one person today can ever say that you are so good that you have never failed and fallen. We are bruised. And let me tell you today, I think that because of this issue of sex in our culture and the, the shouting of, of, this, of the movements in our culture today, the screaming at us to accept this, to make this a reality, to, to make us, it's, it's our goodness we recognize is before God really is like garbage. Our best is like foolishness. Each one of us are here because we are broken, because we have been affected by this culture. His love is what has healed us, picked us up, restored our brokenness, and given us real life. I was having lunch just uh, like three weeks ago with a psych, um, psychologist, counselor. And uh, we were there together, um, Pam and I, and she was telling me how that a uh, Friends in another city close were having trouble with their kids because if their kids in school didn't identify other students by their preferred pronouns, that they could be in trouble and the parents could be in trouble. Now, such worship of sex has culminated in such a perverse culture that the weakness of America is beginning to show its signs. It's showing its signs in our military. It's showing the weakness of its signs in our entertainment. It's showing weakness of its signs in our politicians for sure. These are just the fruit of a spiritual war. Okay? And we are called to the spiritual war. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you today. Pam, would you come? Pam and Terry, <clears throat> we're going to close in prayer together. I want to encourage you that if you are struggling with this, if you are a parent of kids who are subjected to it, if you are married and your spouse, you and your spouse, you need to have a healthy sexual intimacy that is blessed by God. If you are single, this is really targeting you. It's targeting all of us, but it will come into the mind. It will disrupt. It will cause false expectations that, that were never intended to be there. And the joy of, of, of what sex means, what celibacy can mean, I never talked about that much, but that God's blessing in his way is best. He has healing for you today, friends, doesn't he? You know this, right? He can touch what you've broken. He can take the scars that you've put there. You know, your, your brain builds, as we know, 
chemical pathways once you take in so much of a thing like pornography or drugs or alcohol and it creates wants and it has a natural valley actually physical valley in your brain that this a highway that it travels on and it needs to be fed these endorphins and they go down this this valley this highway in your brain and the only way for that to be healed is to let other to let it grow over that means that God can take you and your desires and your wants and he can put you on a new path that desire God things rather than visiting that old highway let's let it grow over stand with me would you and and let's just pray together about this I